1: Well, good day, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time it is by you, welcome to Line Drive Radio. So it's truly Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island in the great state of New York. And it's time, as always, to bring in my LDR teammate from the great city of Chicago, Mr. Ted Bamford. Ted, what's going down in Chi-Town?
2: Oh, Paul, let's tell you, this week it legitimately feels like... Mother Nature's just throwing out Powerball numbers. Like <laughs> we're going like forty-two on Monday, 69, 71 yesterday, fifty-five today, eighty-three tomorrow. and then back to like sixty on Sunday. So if you've got allergies, no bueno. But uh, but we're uh, we're we're having fun, and the baseball seasons are starting. My five-year-old is playing t-ball. We got a big parade this weekend with all the house Little League teams getting their uniforms and walking through town, uh, and I'm be hoofing it to Joliet for an 8.30 p.m. start for the travel team on Friday night, so you got to love those getting home at 11's before you got to turn it around and play again Saturday tournament schedules, but uh, starting to feel like full-blown baseball season. where I'm not just watching it on TV, but now I'm chasing in three different directions because my fifteen year old's gonna umpire for the house league. So oh wow a lot, going a lot going on. Multiple schedules to keep a part of.
1: Wow, you are a busy man, Mr. Banford. There's no doubt about it. Well I mean it is the time of the year. I'm with you on the um on the weather man because uh I, I never thought I'd say it, but these April winters in New York are just a little unbearable right now. <laughs> we were out on the uh on the field last night, little league, my little guy in his uh Limbrook Orioles beat the Rockville Center Giants last night for the first win. My first victory as uh, an assistant coach in the Little League. Uh, tip of the hat to uh, my co-coaches, uh, James, and manager TJ, and the big victory on the kids yesterday. I big tell you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a little cold out there. There's no doubt about it on the pitch. It's like for the for the new kids, I mean, it was a learning experience for me just being on the field again, to, uh, you know, just coaching a little league. You know, I mean, I tell you, Tab, I'm sure you know this. You feel like you want to get on the field and play with them. You know, you want to get in the batter's box. But you learn yep. a lot about patience, man, <laughs> about being patient. Or the lack thereof. Yes. <laughs> and I got to tell you, for 9- and 10-year-olds, I give my, our little guys a lot of credit on both teams uh, hanging in there. Uh, The kids pitching, just everything from the the pitch count. You know, I I wasn't uh, aware of, like, how, you know, they um, they actually run the Little League games, you know, because I've been away from it for so long. And obviously this is my my little guy. He's nine, and he's just starting to play. And I I couldn't remember back when, you know, I was playing, you know, 40-some-odd years ago. But everything yeah. from the pitch count to, um, you know, the five-run rule there in the, in the inning and, um, you know, watching the time, two-hour time limits and everything else, which obviously helps the pace of the game go a little bit and obviously uh, ultimately is looking, to, looking out for the kids so they don't get hurt and everything else and stuff like that. But we had a lot of fun last night. I just can't wait for the new kids who are playing for the first time that this cold weather doesn't turn them off. <laughs> We're trying to encourage them, hang in there. It gets nicer, and the experience of being out on the grass in the outfield on a warm, beautiful summer's night is magical, and just hang in there.
2: (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, and you know what? Back in the day, there weren't two-hour time limits. I remember umpiring games that would take like two and a half. They didn't have like that you can only bat around the order once rule back in the day. So I remember umpiring games when I was a teenager, and they just – I remember doing a triple header one Saturday, and I was at the ball field for literally 10 hours. Oh, my God. And, you know, that was back when I enjoyed sweating and losing weight in one day. (laughs) Um, But uh, but no, it was they've done a lot of little stuff to literally at the corporate level to help incentivize um, participation. And it's great. Like the the time limit on stuff is great because you, you don't have games that drag on forever. Um, the you know batter limits on innings so you can't have the game be like 27 to nothing after one inning mm-hmm. um, it's all great yeah and it, and it keeps the kids engaged so um, big fan of the little League uh, and hopefully you know we'll be able to chat about a fun international little League World Series again this year uh, because that's always fun yeah watching the kids get after it
1: yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's a lot of fun. The last thing I'll say on that too, it's just, um, you know, when you have a couple of guys I'm working with, like I said, James and TJ are great. They're experienced. They've been doing this for a few years too. And, and, um, you know, being on the bench and letting one voice. Um, and then just picturing being on a major league bench, uh, part of a coaching staff, and, you know, you're watching your kids here, and, you know, if you're seeing the kids struggling, obviously, pitching, and then you're seeing the kids, you know, getting the positions right, you know, how to manage a fly ball, a ground ball, um, you know, stealing, all that stuff, and then just for a second there, I just had that moment of putting myself, you know, actually being on the bench, watching the big guys play, and how, yeah. what that experience must be like, uh, you know, watching the major, major leaguers play uh on the great uh, ballparks States here.
2: Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you with that, you know, we've talked a little bit about my middle son's travel team. His best buddy, Shay has an older brother who is uh, a very good baseball player. Uh, And he is uh, at the moment on the roster at UIC, the university of Illinois at Chicago, uh, which is a division one program. And Earlier this week on Tuesday, Ryan Smith got his first start of the year against Purdue uh, in downtown Chicago. I tweeted some pictures out, Paul. Um, the ballpark that they have at UIC, which was largely funded by uh, one of their alumni, uh, a young man by the name of Curtis Granderson, Um Yes, former Yankee, former Met, former Detroit Tiger, uh, one of the all-time great human beings to play a professional sport, not just baseball. Um, But this ballpark that they have, Paul, is absolutely incredible. Um, Batter's eye, uh, okay scoreboard. It's a college scoreboard. It's not, you know, the Dallas Cowboys stadium jumbotron. (laughs) But the batter's eye, you stand behind the plate and you look straight out and you've got a batter's eye that's maybe 20 feet, you know, flat, that like forest green color with some shrubbery around it, courtesy of the Knights who say knee. And above (laughs) that, you have the skyline of the city of Chicago. Wow. You, if you're, you walk in and you dig into the batter's box and you look out at the mound and straight above the pitcher's head. You have whatever the hell they renamed the Sears Tower and all of the other big skyscrapers. And you have – it's the sight lines are absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, so I dragged Bobby down there to watch his buddy's older brother get his first start. Uh, he threw really well. UIC got the win, which was great. Uh, it was on ESPN+. Plus. So oh, wow. based on the comments from other families on the travel team, it sounds like Bobby and Shay got – some airtime uh, on on ESPN plus because there were like eight people there because like I said when I was giving myself crap about the weather it was it was like 42 degrees with a 20 mile an hour breeze at first pitch <sighs> at 6 p.m. so it was blustery but uh, but you when you say like imagine seeing it from a different perspective you know Bobby and I, I was standing there talking to dad behind the dugout because he was nervous and Wanted to, you know, be able to, you know, try to sneak eye contact with his kid when he was coming in after an inning, um, kind of gauge how he was feeling, kind of a thing. Uh, Bobby and Shay wanted to sit behind the plate and see what Division One pitching looked like, so they they were basically sitting in the scout seats, three rows behind the plate, watching these guys from UIC and Purdue throw, and I think it opened their eyes a little bit because the stuff it. it they're both 11 playing up on a 12-year travel team, and what you see at whatever, mid-60s, maybe high 60s for a good 12-year-old, um, and low 90s, uh, and the way that these guys are throwing breaking balls, it's a different world, Yeah. and, you know, Shea's grown up with it, seeing his brother, and Bobby's seen a little bit, and he's been close to major league fields, but th- College Stadium is so much more intimate, and I'm sure we'll go back down there when the weather's nicer, but it was a lot of fun. I hadn't been to a college game in years. Hmm. Um, and so, listening to the chirping in the dugout, uh, you know, fall ball comes back towards the dugout, and, you know, who flinched? You got to go get the seeds for everybody else. And they're deal. using
1: aluminum bats, too, right?
2: Yeah, which I don't understand how. Um, because they're, I mean, these are major league ready type bodies, and the exit below is right there and then you're giving them, you know, an Tim, amplifier. Can I, can
1: I ask you real quick on the science of that? Like, why is college baseball use the aluminum bats as opposed to, you know, I mean, obviously not in the major leagues, but why is, why is that primarily a college ball thing?
2: Uh, it's not science, it's finance. And it's wood bats are expensive. So are aluminum, but you've got, you can get a lot more hacks out of, uh, you know, a composite or, you know, we call them aluminum because we're old. But the the metal bats just last longer than wood bats.
1: And is that also and, because players turn over so much? Obviously, with, you know, freshmen, sophomore, junior, senior.
2: And well, uh, right now, you know, right. And we, we could probably dig in and do a whole show on the issues with college baseball right now. Right now, college baseball is a mess because. I just set students, off a landmine,
1: didn't I, Dad? I just did it. You did.
2: Um, because students were given an extra year of eligibility because it, most uh, conferences just completely banged the twenty season because of COVID. So you've got kids that, were, that had verbally and formally committed to scholarship offers from Division one schools that are playing JUCO right now because kids were able to come back for an extra year. You've got fifth- and sixth-year players uh, still in college baseball, and there's nowhere to put incoming freshmen. So you've got really, really crowded rosters in college baseball because of the COVID thing. And it's going to take a few years to sort it out because now if you think the transfer portal is crazy for sports like football and basketball, baseball is nuts. Baseball is absolutely insane because with so many rosters being crowded and guys not going to the school that they'd hoped for uh, and then wanting to get out and jump back into D1 maybe after a freshman year or after a sophomore year, or go get a better opportunity because they committed to Louisville and they're carrying 39 pitchers, which I think is actually the number. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating like I usually do. Louisville's <laughs> carrying a boatload of pitchers. Um, so it, it, it's a mess right now. And um, so, you know, it, it's pretty cool to see a true freshman 19-year-old out there getting a start. Uh, he'd made a few appearances out of the bullpen earlier in the year, uh, and so they had, didn't have him fully stretched out to go le- – what you would consider to be traditional starter length, he went two plus. But, um, but you don't. See lots of younger guys. I mean, I've got other friends that have got kids that are getting recruited right now as sophomores and juniors in high school, and they're talking about if you're a if you're a starter, you know, you might be the ace for your high school staff right now as a junior. If you're a starter for us, uh, you'd be like a Tuesday Wednesday guy. Because Saturday, Sundays when you're when the dogs pitch, mm-hmm. um, and the goal is you might be out of the bullpen as a freshman, you might be a Wednesday starter as a sophomore, but the goal is to have you starting on the weekend by the time you're a junior or a senior. And that and that's kind of the progression that you're looking for. So it was a Tuesday night, but he got to start against a Big Ten school, um, which is cool as hell to see. But yeah, I mean it the college baseball right now is such a mess because of the backlog with the pandemic that I am so glad I don't have a kid getting recruited because it is, it is just a nightmare.
1: And yes, something that me and you don't have to worry about sorting at, but uh, yeah, we'll do some more college baseball as we go along here. We'll follow the season a little bit and, and, uh, and, and watch these batting averages a little bit and tough too, as far as, like I said, what they're using to, to knock the ball, Uh, Out of the infield and out of the ballpark But good stuff there, great story It's, uh, you know, the ballparks too We love them here, we love talking about them Um, You know, me and my entertainment company We're lucky we'll be performing at a couple of uh, Minor League Baseball stadiums this year too Uh, Looking uh, forward to seeing the the Jersey, uh, Jersey South Shore Jersey Blue Claws Um, this summer, too. It's right there uh, down the Jersey Shore. We're going to be hanging with the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones at Coney Island this year. Great scenes. Talk talk about great scenery there, too. So it's good stuff. So, um, you know, as Tab always says here, too, get out and uh, support your local uh, minor league baseball teams. Uh, They need us to all, too. All right, pal. It is Friday, April 22nd. We are about, I don't know, 13 to 15 games into the season. And let's uh, kick into some MLB headlines here on LDR. As we bop around, a couple of teams that are uh, sticking out here a little bit, and Tab, why don't you why don't you take it away here and, and, and tell everybody what's what do you see that's uh, maybe perking your interest here a little bit that's standing out above uh, all the teams here, at MLB, as we get this uh, new season underway.
2: Well, I think first and foremost, both of us would like to congratulate the Fighting Buck Show, Walters. <laughs> oh, jeez. Your your New York Mets, Paul. Um, don't you
1: call them my New York Mets. Don't I put that you people this. on me,
2: Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the New York Mets are the first team to 10 wins in Major League Baseball. Uh, oh, they're oh, doing yeah, it without wait, Jacob. Wait. Haven't seen Jacob deGrom yet. It's a slow clap, uh, buddy. Get, we're getting a golf clap here. It's a slow clap. Um, but uh, look, I, Tyler McGill looks like found something in the offseason the Mets are 5-2 at home they're 5-2 five, five and two on the road 10-4 best record in baseball and you know we, we talk about run differentials and early in the season you could have a clunker and it could go sideways for you real quick uh, so it's, it's hard when you're like 15 games in to really put a Flag in the ground and say this guy sucks, or it's going to be a long year for for these guys, unless you know it's the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but the New York Mets through fourteen games have a plus thirty run differential, which is second in the National League to only the Dodgers, uh, who are plus thirty two. And again, they're doing this without Jacob Degrom. You know, when we talked before the season. We threw our predictions around. I'm like, I love everything that the Mets did in the offseason. I think that they've got the goods. But with the DeGrom injury situation, I don't know how much I can trust Taiwan Walker and Cookie Carrasco you know, on the, to fill out the back end of the rotation. And we didn't know, like, what's McGill going to bring? He showed some flashes last year. But, you know, how is this thing going to fill out? And then Chris Bassett got hit around pretty good a couple times in spring training. And you've got some reason to be concerned. Like, is this going to be Max Scherzer and, you know, whatever the rest of the rotation is, how is this going to hold up? And their pitching has been great. 37 runs allowed in 14 games is pretty good. The offense has been marvelous. And one of my predictions, break arm, patting self on back is to Francisco Lindor's back. Mm -hmm. The MVP looking guy who got the bag uh, from Steve Cohen is playing like a guy who deserves $341 million right now. Um, And not every guy on that roster is crushing it. Like James McCann could use a little giddy-up, but they're finding ways to win games almost every day. Uh, And so congratulations to, uh, again, Buck Showalter coming out of quasi-retirement slash the TV world uh, and getting after it and leading the Mets to the first team to reach the 10-win plateau. That's entering Friday. Uh, you've got a couple teams, the Padres and Dodgers could join them with 10 wins uh, on Friday in the National League. The Dodgers are nine and three, which is the best winning percentage in the National League at 750. Uh, And there is there's nobody in the American League that can reach 10 wins on Friday. But there are a few teams with eight wins that could make it happen this weekend. So um, so good on you fighting buck show Walters, um, a team that is not going to get the 10 wins on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, uh, but a team that is in first place right now that neither one of us, I think expected to be in first place is your hold that edit button so that when we screw it up, we, we can go back. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians.
1: Well, I don't mind. I think I said last week there's something going on there a little bit. I said I said all jokes aside because we bust them on the Guardians and everything, but yeah, they're showing a little something there.
2: Well, so here's the thing. They got a plus 25 run differential, which is the best in the American League by a, a long shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to dig in on Oakland later to later today, but Oakland's actually second in the American league with a plus 16 right now. They're the only other team in the American league with a double digit positive run differential. The guardians are the only team in the American league central with a positive run differential. Uh, they're the only team over 500 in that division. The white Sox uh, went to Cleveland this week and soiled themselves, uh, had a rain out, uh, and then kicked the ball all over the field in the first half of the double dip. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, uh, shout out to the former Cy Young Award winner, uh, from what I read, uh, set a major league record in that game. Um, when, it, when a pitcher uh, starts an inning but does not record an out, and you and you read the box score, it will say uh, something to the effect of, uh, you know, Keuchel faced three batters in the third inning, right? Usually, if you if you start an inning, and obviously now with relievers, you've got the three batter minimum. Um, but if you don't get an out, usually it's maybe four or five, uh, and you're getting the hook. Dallas Keuchel. Faced 11 batters and didn't get an out Oof. in an inning. And you, you sit back and you're like, what the hell is Tony LaRusa doing? And then you have to remember it was the first half of a doubleheader and their bullpen's already getting worked because Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito are both on the shelf. So, w- absolute worst case scenario is you got a defense kicking the ball all over the field, a pitcher who, ca- who can't avoid the barrel and a team that's scoring runs in dozens at this point, um, happily willing to just bat around. But Keiko faced 11 batters with, without recording an out, I believe it was the second inning of, the, of that game. So Cleveland swept the White Sox. The White Sox have now lost four in a row to drop to 6-6 six and six on the year. They're 2-4 and four on the road. And Cleveland, by virtue of being 7-5, and five, is in first place. But, How about they're, that? but hey, look, full full credit where it's due, they've scored 68 runs, which is the most in the American League. And, you know, we talked about Cleveland's pitching was going to be there. But on paper, before the season started, we are like, okay, maybe Fran Reyes is going to come with Jose Ramirez. But who else? You know, Naylor's coming back from a just an awful leg injury. Uh, you don't know what you – know, Mercado's a glove-first outfielder. What are we doing here? And, you know, we talked about Stephen Kwan a lot last week. They've just got a lot of guys that are going to make contact and they're going to run the bases and make life hell for you. And so kudos to Tito Francona back in the saddle and, and the Cleveland Guardians, because, you know, that division is a mess. Minnesota's back in last place. Lots of changes. Lots of people liked what they did. I didn't know what the hell they were up to with everything they did in the off season. It doesn't look like it's working. They're five and eight. Um, But their run differential is only a minus eight, which is the same as the White Sox at this point on the 22nd of April. Uh, And then Kansas city's minus 14 and Detroit's minus 13. And you know, our first show, we were pumping the tires on El Mago and now he's, uh, he's been on the shelf ever since. So this is what happens on LDR, folks. We give you the pick-to-click, the and then we, the second we give somebody some love, uh, they get hurt. Tainted, uh, but that, Tainted that, love. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but that division's a mess. Uh, it, it, like the National League East, which the Mets are enjoying the uh, the, the catbird seat in right now, uh, only one team over 500. At least the White Sox are 500. Braves are in second in the National League East at 6-8. and eight. Um, But, I mean, the Guardians are playing a fun brand of baseball. And everybody, including us, coming into the season was like, they always compete, but we don't know how they're going to do it this year. And now you're watching me and you're like, damn, they knew <laughs> something that we didn't. Because they got a bunch of guys just slapping the ball over the field and moving station to station, taking extra bases and they're getting it done so Cleveland first place got to love it got to love it you know at least at least they can visit the rock and roll hall of fame
1: well i think we uh, talked about this i think the the only way hey look full marks. i mean that division 2 i mean it's i mean it is what it is it it's open for anybody to whoever plays well mm-hmm. can actually you know i mean you can be yeah. in it now if you just kind of play good baseball the rest of the way i mean look i said like we've said here, we're only, you know, 12, 15 games into the season here. Uh, you know, we can go in and out about, you know, everybody's schedule and injuries and everything else. But we talked about it here. That, I mean, as far as joking around with the Guardians name and everything else. And I was saying, hey, look, the, I love the jerseys. They look sharp out there. And they're playing kind of sharp. And if they play well, I think all of us will get acclimated to the Guardians. Because like anything else, tab winning just changes everything. And this is a great start for this franchise and this team. And the fans keep coming out and things kind of keep growing, but they just have to kind of stay in it here. And I think they will be all right in that division.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think this is very much like we talked about all year last year. And we probably will this year with the national league East, um, which by the way, the Phillies at five and eight, Joe Girardi, come on kid. Um, we knew their defense was going to be bad, but the offense needs to come with it. Um, well, on that tab, in, real
1: quick, If I, I just want to swing back to the Mets here real quick, okay? Yeah. And, you know, congratulations, 10 wins. You know, I had a buddy on Twitter the other day. He's like, you know, City Field was packed during the day the other day, and I hit him back. I said, well, I said, the Mets always win in April. I said, that's why the fans sell out the buildings in the beginning of the year, because they know they're usually not there at the end of the year in games. So, I mean, right? if you, the Mets, look, with that lineup, as far as I'm concerned, hey, you should be winning these games. I mean, I think the Phillies, right, you know, because you're talking about the Phillies there, it is a surprise so far. And if you look at the Mets' schedule here in the first month, right, nine games they've got, and they've already played them a few already against the Nationals. Now, they've got nine games against the Phillies already. Uh, Like I'm saying, is on the schedule. All right, so they're taking care of business there. They've got seven games on the docket with the Cardinals, who, like I said, had a fun run at the end of the season last year. But you know, we're still you know waiting to see what they're going to do here, what kind of team they're going to be. They six games against the Diamondbacks. You know, the Giants too, coming off of you know what they were last year and everything else. They've got uh, eight games against them now. They've got as far as I'm, and they think there's three games mixed in there with the Mariners. You know, let's see how they do against the three-game set against the, the Braves coming up. And let's see how they do against, you know, Bryant's upstart and Rockies too, baby. You know, so, yeah, you know, I think it's all – it's in tune with uh, certain teams taking advantage of, of good play in the beginning of the season. And the Mets are doing that right now. And I think anybody could say, hey, yeah, well, you should be winning these games. You have the super lineup. Uh, you should be doing this. But, you know, and yeah, I'm a Yankee fan and everything else. But I think for Mets fans here too, I mean – this is great. April and May is like your time, but that's not when it's supposed to work in baseball. Talk to us later on in about six months and we'll see where they're at.
2: And unfortunately, after last year, that is from what I've gauged, the sentiment of lots of Mets fans. You're pumped because Degrom's out and you still, now you have Scherzer to be the stopper. If you get into a slide, right. But, you were in first place until the, almost the end of July last year. Which means nothing. And, and it doesn't mean a damn thing. So with where you're at, like when you look at the American League Central, I think we knew that you were going to have some growing pains with you know, the roster changes in Detroit. They're trying to get Torkelson into the mix. Kansas City's got Bobby Witt jumping in, Young pitching. We figured that those two teams were going to have some growing pains early. You know, with Minnesota, lots of people loved what they did. I wasn't a fan, um, and they're kind of proving me right thus far. Byron Buxton got paid. Guess what? He's hurt again. Um, The pitching that they brought in, not great, Um, even though our fantasy out of the week was out of their bullpen last week. You know, they leave a lot to be desired. And I think right now what Cleveland realizes, and look, Cleveland, they're in first place, they're only two games over five hundred. They're seven and five. The White Sox are six and six. So this isn't a situation where like the Mets, the Mets have a four-game lead on Miami and Atlanta. Right. And again, 14 games played. We are not crowning anyone on the 22nd of April. But what's exciting for Cleveland is you gotta win the games that you gotta win, and you can only play the teams when they're on your schedule. And for Cleveland to be hitting hot and to be able to sweep the White Sox, who are without one A and one B in their rotation, Luis Robert pulls up with what they're saying is a groin issue. Uh, yesterday, AJ Pollock is on the shelf. I mean, Lurie Garcia's betting third yesterday. I don't know what the hell Tony LaRusso is doing there, but you can only play the games on the schedule when the schedule makers put them there. And if you're Cleveland, if you want to hang around in this thing and you figure that some of these teams are going to get a little bit warmer as the younger players get acclimated, if you want to be in this thing in July and August, you got to hang around right now. And they're doing that. So it's exciting for Cleveland because The longer they stay relevant, uh, the better they're going to look. And now that they've given Jose Ramirez a long-term extension, it looks like he's going to stay in Cleveland and they're going to build around him. And he's not going to just walk or get traded with three months left in his deal. I think that that's a totally different perspective now for Cleveland. I think a lot of people thought you trade Francisco Lindor who is one of the bright, shining smiles in the game. His nickname is Mr. Smile. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people thought that it was a foregone conclusion that Jose Ramirez would carry the team until the 4th of July, and then he would get, the rumors would crank up, and he would get dealt somewhere. You know, somebody would need a third baseman or a second baseman, and they'd pay a king's ransom to help Cleveland rebuild again. But Cleveland opened up the coffers and paid the guy. And so you've got a little bit of a different perspective now with the Guardians in that they have financially committed to Jose Ramirez and they're going to build around him and I think that they should their fans should be really excited about that because you're not going to get excited and jump and support and buy the jerseys of a guy and have him gone in 3 months. So uh, and you're not going to get off to a hot start and then fade, and then sell like the Chicago Cubs did last year where you were in that you know division, if not wild card conversation until the end of June, and then all four wheels fell off and the axles broke, and you didn't know what the hell was happening. Um, so I like the energy around Cleveland. I, I think it's a fun young team. I think Tito Francona is the perfect dude to be running that team right now, and they're having fun. And they're, and they're staying in it, and that's awesome because we love competitive division races, and I think that that's a division that's going to be very competitive uh, all the way through. And, you know, finishing up with the, with the East a little bit, Paul, I, we all knew that the Phillies' defense was going to be suspect when they brought in Schwarber and Castellanos mm-hmm. because both of them should, if we're really honest, should be a DH, and one of them has to play the outfield now. Sometimes both of them are. Um, their pitching hasn't been good. Zach Wheeler has not gotten off to a great start. Aaron Nola keeps putting up bipolar pitching lines. Um, but I don't think anybody expected them to be behind Washington at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that's just because they haven't been able to, you know, win at home. They're three and three at home. Yeah. You know, the, a lot of teams are struggling on the road. None more than Cincinnati. But Philly being two and five away from home isn't great. But when you come home, you got to get it done. And they're three and three at home. So, you know, looking at those two division races, um, I think that they're going to be competitive because I think there's a lot of I I don't want to use the word mediocrity. But it kind of feels like that when you look at the records and what they've done the last couple of years. Um, And it feels more like just top-to-bottom mediocrity more than parity. But I think those two divisions are going to be competitive because of that. The opposite is true in the National League West. And you brought up Chris Bryant and the Rocky Mountain High Colorado Rockies. Um, which some of the headlines my brother who teaches at the University of Colorado, Boulder, sent me on 420 were exceptional uh, (laughs) on the interwebs. But uh, you're looking at that division. We're talking about the National League East, one team over 500. Uh, The American League Central, one team over 500. Uh, The National League West, You've got four teams with eight wins already. Dodgers are nine and three. Rockies eight and four. Padres nine and five. Giants eight and five. Arizona. Uh, You've got four teams. Three of the four teams, the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, have at least a plus eighteen run differential. The Rockies are in second with a plus nine. But when you play in Coors, sometimes. You win games 10-9, and that's just how, how it shakes down. But that whole division, man, it – and you know at Arizona, we talked about some of the young pieces. They're going to struggle this year. We know that. But kind of like we said with Jose Ramirez, they paid Keto Marte. So theoretically, he's a guy that they're going to start building some of these young players around. They've got Dalton up, uh, Geraldo Perdomo is giving them some run at short while Nick and Med's on the shelf. The Alton Jeffries, they've got, they've got some guys that are coming in and doing some good things. It's awesome. They're going to get their butts kicked a lot this year because the top four now in that division look really good. And, you know, the Padres pitching has been up and down. The Giants pitching has been good. They've only allowed 36 in 13 games. I think the Dodgers are where we expected them to be. I think both of us are pleasantly surprised that the Rockies are holding up their end of the bargain. When they gave Chris Bryant that boatload of money, and Bryant said they want to win and I'm here to hopefully help these young guys learn how to win, a lot of people just kind of like, yeah, nice lip service. You got paid.
1: Those are the same people that I said, you know, is going to be the MVP of the year out there. They looked at me. I said, Bryant's going to be the MVP of the year. And I said, yeah, and they're looking at me the same way, Tab. Like I'm crazy. Yeah. I said and he has to be, right? He has to be, obviously, yeah. right? That's the only way he would do that. But, look, hey, look, this is, this is a lot of fun. I mean, beginning of the year here, looking at all divisions and stuff, uh, as things pan out, but, you know, we all have to remember now with the new playoff settings, you know, especially the teams, the favorite teams here, if they decide to continue on being mediocre, these teams that are expected to be mediocre or were mediocre in the past, are going to be right there, and these battles towards the end of the season uh, could be even more fun than they are right now. So this is this is kind of fun right now to kind of look at some of the surprises out of the gate here and as far as where the records are. Um, and I think it's great. And Man, if Colorado can just keep it interesting all year, in a similar fashion the way the Giants did last year, can you imagine if the Dodgers have to deal with that this year? If for some reason – the Rockies somehow become just a consistently good baseball team week after week, and then again they're going to look at it here that that doesn't mean they're going to be able to run away at the West again.
2: Well, and but but that that you know that also brings us back to even with the extended playoffs, the more some of these divisions allow mediocrity to rule the day, mm-hmm. the bigger problem you have is you've got teams like the Rockies, the Giants, the Padres that are ch- right now the St. Louis Cardinals are in first place in the Central with a 6.36 winning percentage. That would be fourth in the National League West. And they're in first. I think everyone assumes that the Milwaukee Brewers who are 8 and 5 are going to be there. But if the Milwaukee Brewers have a 6.15 winning percentage, at the end of the season, and it ended right now, that's out of the playoffs. Yeah. Right? So so this is where, again, you have to play the games when they're on the schedule, unless, of course, you get rained out and you make it up in July. But you play the teams when you get them. And you play the games with the hand that you've been dealt at the time. And I don't know that any team in baseball has as many – health related excuses right now as the Chicago White Sox but they still have to play games to that end the Rockies could have folded up a few times and taken their ball and gone home and they're here at 8 and 4 and this is where again you don't you can't win the world series in april but you can be eliminated and some teams are doing a pretty good job of building a taller mountain to climb for themselves. And last year, we watched a National League East that had all the hype in the world at the beginning of the year be this cesspool of mediocrity the whole season. And the Braves get in as a division winner. They're the only team to get in out of that division. And they go on and win the World Series because they their path was... I think I made the point before the postseason started. It was a little bit easier because they didn't have to deal with the juggernauts in the West because they won their division. Now that with the playoffs being expanded, you know, a team like the Giants or, or the Rockies or the Padres, they're going to have a chance to be in it all year. But if you're the Braves or the Marlins or the Phillies or the Brewers, you are got to be looking at what's going on out West and saying, you know, Moving day could move up for us a little bit because if we want to be in this thing when we get there, you know, if you're five and eight as the Phillies right now, and you're, you know, what I was told there'd be no math, but you're <laughs> six six games back of San Francisco for theoretically the last playoff spot or or Milwaukee, um, that's a lot to ask to to start looking at that already here. And saying, man, they've got a long way to climb to get out of that hole. And they're just digging it deeper right now. And so, you know, with the expanded playoffs, you're going to have more teams that are going to be more active at the deadline, which is going to be great for the game. But you're making it hard on yourself in some of these cities. And you might want to blame a Joe Girardi if you're in Philadelphia. But, you know, if you got a bunch of grenades in the field, it's kind of hard to hope for a gold glove to happen. So, um, the West is going to be a lot of fun this year, and last year I think we all thought it was going to be the Dodgers and the Padres duking it out. This year I think a lot of people thought Dodgers, Padres, and the Giants because of what they did last year, even though I openly questioned would Joey Bart be able to replace Buster Posey? Would the magic that they found last year carry over? Was it lightning in a bottle for one year? Um, It's still there. Carlos Rodon's been great. He's fully replaced what Gossman was in that rotation. Logan Webb is vastly uh, taken for granted ace. Uh, but the Rockies are the team this year that I think have jumped to the, the front of the page here. Now you've got four teams chasing it. And that's fun. That's a great division race. It's not, you know, the, I think the National League Central is the worst division to try and put up with in baseball. Because you've got the Cubs and Pirates both at six and seven, you know, two games back of St. Louis and Milwaukee, and the poor Cincinnati Reds have lost their last nine. Yeah, they're uh... and they've allowed seventy four. And but you know what, Hunter Ouch. Green is a special dude. We're going to talk about him on a future show because he's got an arm like we've almost never seen before. Um, he's touching a hundred like every other pitch right now. So Cincinnati, they're they're turning the page to the future. It's coming. So there's reason for hope in Cincy, but right now it's bad. It's really bad. They're 2-11. Yeah. But, I mean, you look at that division and Milwaukee's, uh, you know, highly regarded starting pitching has not been that great. Uh, St. Louis is the only team with better than a plus-one run differential in that division, and the Cubs are plus-one. Milwaukee's minus-three, and the Cubs are tied with Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's minus-10 in the run differential department. So that that division's just bad. You know, the Cardinals and Brewers are okay, but you look at where they're at right now and those teams would they, St. Louis, like I said, St. Louis' win percentage would be fourth in the National League West. And we, even with expanded playoffs, you got to be better than that. And the National League right now is kicking the crap out of the American League. Best winning percentage in the American League on as, you know, entering today, Friday the 22nd of April, the best winning percentage in the American League is a tie between the Angels and Blue Jays at six fifteen, which would be fourth in the National League West. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where the Brewers and the San Francisco Giants are at. Eight and five is the best record in the American League.
1: That's crazy. Well, keep an eye on a couple of things. the next couple of weeks, especially for the Rockies. Here, uh, three set uh, with the Tigers this weekend, and then they got the Phillies again for four. And if they can keep beating up on a wounded Philadelphia team here, and then they've got a three-set with um, Cincinnati and then the Nats and then the Diamondbacks before they have a three-game set with the Giants. So the Rockies could, could really pick up some ground here or put some ground between them um, as far as you know their next two weeks are concerned as far as maybe being a real serious player here uh, early in the season. And just to swing back to the Guardians too – uh, big series here against the Yankees this weekend. It's it's a big series for the Yankees, too, yep. uh, as far as where they're set. But if um, they want to play, um, you know, the Guardians here, it's a, it's a great setup between them. And then they've got a four-set with the Angels. And the Angels are trying to make a little bit of identity for themselves, too. And looking at the way that division with the Angels are, I mean, they could pretty much kind of start running away with it. So if the Guardians can kind of put up here against the Yankees and, and the uh, Angels, maybe they get a little more notice than we're giving them today. And I think those are two big series for the Yankees and for the Angels. And like I said, the Rockies, man, phew, there's a there's a highway right there for the next two weeks for the Rockies to kind of jump on it and take off on it. And, you know, with uh, everything else that will come into play here over the next couple of months, injuries and so on and so forth, the Rockies just might be there in a good spot if they can kind of show it. I mean, this is the thing, right, Tabby, running through these divisions, we're talking about mediocrity, we're talking about where some of these teams are settling in right now. Uh, but there's a couple of huge series coming up here for a couple of the teams that we've been talking about uh, where we come back here in, say, two weeks' time and we start looking at the schedule and the standings here again. And um, some things could shift in a major way.
2: Yeah, and again, it, it's the cliche is one game at a time. But I think with baseball, the season is so long. It's a marathon. But you start breaking it up into smaller, bite-sized chunks. You play one game at a time. And then you evaluate one week at a time, one month at a time. And you start looking at these smaller and then increasingly expanding windows of data that you can then extrapolate trends from. And the Angels, you know, Mike Trout's a little banged up. But you know what? Rendon is there. Shohei's still doing the Shohei thing. Um, You know, Seattle scuffling. Julio Rodriguez got off to a brutal start, and I love the kid's game. He's starting to turn it around a little bit. He's got – I don't know if you've seen some of the pitching breakdowns of his at-bats, but, I mean, he's getting uh, – somebody did a – Julio Rodriguez, my pick for the American League Rookie of the Year in Seattle. He he, he struck out looking like 14 times already and 13 of the 14 – looking strike threes have been outside of the strike zone on K zone. Like the guy's getting terrible stuff called on him. The Astros are banged up. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of open doors in baseball. There are a lot of injuries that are happening because guys weren't ramped up because of the abbreviated spring training. So there's great opportunity. And right now we are a couple weeks into the regular season and we're starting to see some guys step forward, some guys step back. I think that there are guys that we're, we're all going to expect are going to come back to earth. You know, I don't think Jose Ramirez, as great as he is, is going to slug 880 the entire year. You know, he's not Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds. Uh, he is not tested for anything. So I don't think he's on whatever Barry Bonds was on. Um, his body hasn't completely changed size either. So, uh, no skepticism there. there guys are going to either regress to the mean or they're going to come back to what their career averages are and improve. And the question is, you know, who can ride it longer? Uh, who can get out of their funk quicker? Uh, and who's going to be able to, you know, make the right in season moves uh, to supplement what they have if they need to? And you've already seen the Cubs trade a couple pitchers. So, um, it's going to be a very interesting year. I'm thrilled that it's going to be an interesting year because I think every single division race right now stacks up as being incredibly uh, dramatic, uh, even with the mediocrity that we're talking about in the National League East. So there's going to be a lot to talk about, but you have to look at it through those smaller bite-sized chunks. What did they do in their last 10? What have they done in the last week? And then what have we done in a month? When we put April to bed, we'll be able to step back and say, That's one of five months that you have to play with. What did you get done? What did you leave on the table? And where do you need to improve? So we're halfway through the first month, and I think that there's a lot of really exciting stories to build on.
1: Absolutely. and just think what it'll be like when it starts getting warmer here in the central and northeast parts of the country. You know? It's freezing out there, buddy. For more
2: than eight hours at a time.
1: (laughs) All right, there are your headlines this week. So let's uh, swing on in. To one of our uh, two of our regular features here on Line Drive Radio LDR. Now, let's talk about the good. I mean, I don't know if you're in Detroit, this might this probably could be put in the bad section of what's going on the past week, but Tab wants to start in the good part of the section of
2: the week. So, Tab,
1: where do you you want to start here? I know we're we're going to Detroit, so take it
2: away. Well, Spencer Torkelson's been warmer lately, Um, the pitching needs to get healthy. If you're a Tigers fan, if you're anyone who watches the game, if the good this week is coming out of the city of Detroit, there's only one thing that we're talking about, and it's Miguel Cabrera chasing 3,000 hits. Uh, he put a donut. He, he picked up three hits on Wednesday, and then donut on on Thursday. So he's coming into Friday with 2,999. We'll talk about why he was a nofer. Uh, and ended up stuck with twenty nine ninety nine uh, in this conversation because there was a little drama with your Yankees yeah. pulling the rug out from under him there. But, uh, <laughs> with one more hit, Miguel Cabrera will tie Roberto Clemente, the great one, uh, with exactly 3000 career hits. He'll become the 32nd player in the history of baseball to get to 3000 hits. So right now, as we record this, there are only 31 who have done it. Uh, And with the way that we've become so dependent on walks and home runs, the idea of someone else getting to 3,000 hits feels like it's not real. Um, It doesn't feel like we're going to see someone else get to... Uh, a three thousand hit uh, plateau ever? I mean that 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 sounds like a pretty massive number to throw out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm saying we might never see another player get to three thousand hits. Uh, Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera are arguably two of the greatest right-handed batters the game has ever seen. Robinson Cano is 39 years old. Uh, He has been suspended twice for performance-enhancing drugs. He is third on the active list, and he is 371 hits away from 3,000 as we record this. Fourth on the active list is 39-year-old Yadier Molina, who has 2,116 if this is Yachty's last season, which he has said it, it is, I don't think he's going to come up with 900 hits this year.
1: No, it's not going to happen.
2: Joey Vado's 38. He needs 967 hits to get to 3,000. He's two-thirds, two-thirds of the way there. The youngest player in the top 10 in active hits is Jose Altuve, who at thirty two years old uh, has seventeen hundred eighty three hits? So he's he's just a little over halfway there, <laughs> and so you know it's we might not see another player get to three thousand in our lifetime. Uh, it it might be a long time. Mike Trout is thirty years old. He's halfway there. He's at fourteen twenty seven. Manny Machado is actually at fourteen forty four at twenty nine. So he's actually the active leader for sub 30 year olds. So it, it it might be maybe a decade before we get there. You know, I think Juan Soto's a guy that a lot of people look at and say he could he's got a shot at it. Um, and when's but, the next CBA? Uh five years. <laughs> Lord help us. But no, so we don't know if we're going to see it again. Um but I wanted to throw a little bit of context around the greatness of Miguel Cabrera before we dig into the debacle up in Detroit yesterday. Uh, so he he also has five hundred and two career home runs. Uh, there are six other players in the history of baseball, six total. So we said thirty-one. Uh, have reached 3,000. There are only six that have 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Six. Uh, Henry Aaron, obviously, 755 home runs, 3,771 hits. The
1: numbers are staggering. A-Rod,
2: 696 and 3,115, and I think both of those have an asterisk. Let's just be real. As do a lot of Altuves. Got yeah, Albert Pujols, <laughs> 681 home runs, 3,308 hits. Willie Mays, 660 home runs, 3,293 hits. Raphael Palmeiro, another asterisk, 569 home runs, 3,020 hits. And the sixth member, Eddie Murray, uh, Baltimore great uh, and longtime Cleveland uh, hero. Uh, 504, home runs, at... 30, yep, 504 home runs, 3,255 uh, hits. So Miguel Cabrera will be the seventh player to reach the 503,000 double dip. That's awesome. Which is impressive. If we want to continue to let, – let, let's keep like let, – let's see how far can we narrow this – Exclusivity of how great Miguel Cabrera is. Okay. He has 599 doubles coming into Friday. Uh, only two other players in the history of baseball, Paul, have 600 doubles, 500 homers, 3,000 hits. Albert Pujols and Hank Aaron. It's amazing. So he he's looking if if number 3000 is a double, he would join that club with one shot. Wow. Uh he has done this uh when you look at plate appearances um he has a, more than 1000 fewer plate appearances than Rafael Palmeiro as far as the 500 homer 3000 hit list. So he's getting there faster Uh, than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the only player of those seven with fewer than 10,000 career at bats. That's nuts. So this is a guy who's doing stuff that we've only seen in the case of 600 doubles, 500 homers and 3000 hits only done twice before. And how fortunate are we that two of those players are active right now, but let's take that group of seven, Hank Aaron, a rod, Albert Pujols, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, Eddie Murray, Miguel Cabrera. The seven guys who will have 500 homers and 3,000 hits. Miguel Cabrera has a career batting average of 310 entering Friday, which would be the highest on that list. Second would be Hank Aaron at 305. Miguel Cabrera has a 387 on base percentage, which is the highest. Willie Mays is second at three eighty four. Wow. So you're talking about a guy who made c- contact, consistent contact. Mm-hmm. He got on base. He drew his walks. He put the ball in play. I think it's it's assumed that you put the ball in play, but when you put the ball in play, and it finds a gap and you get on base, I think the three ten career batting average is mind blowing. You know Albert Pools was hovering at that 300 number until just a couple years ago uh, out there in in Anaheim/ slash Los Angeles of Anaheim but to have a 3.10 career batting average with 11,000 plate appearances is is amazing. So just wanted to throw a little bit of that historical context around what Miguel's doing.
1: Nah, that's it's stunning um, stuff. There's no doubt because about it when you when you look at when it like you,
2: this. When you when you go from 31 with 3,000 hits to joining six others in history with 503,000 to joining only Albert Pujols and Hank Aaron with 600, 500 and 3,000. And then when you take that list, that incredibly exclusive list and he's the best in batting average and on base percentage. And he's done it in 11, basically 11,000 plate appearances. I mean, this guy's been special for a long time and so it's been fun to watch. He's always been a, a goofy guy. He loves the game, loves playing the game. Uh, you see him, like, rubbing Adrian Beltre's head, um, you know, joking with the media. Yesterday they asked him after the game, you know, kids are talking about calling off school to see you get your 3,000. He was like, no, you have to go to school. Education's important, but, like, clearly tongue-in-cheek. Um, they've asked him along the way, you know, how do you feel about being one hit away? And his responses, I don't give a rat's ass because it's never been an individual thing. We lost the game. If we lose the game, what does it matter? And then yesterday, he goes an O for. They won the game, uh, and he cares more about the W than the fact that he was an O for. So he's, you know, from coming up as a teenager with the Marlins in 0-3 to where he's at today, uh, it's just it's been a lot of fun to watch. And I tell kids on my son's travel team, if you're a kid listening, watch old tape of him because the way that he adjusts during at-bats and sees what a pitcher's trying to do to him, and even within an at-bat, um, adjusting to those pitches is has what has made him different than just about anybody we've ever seen. Uh, which is crazy, again, to say, different than anyone we've ever seen Except maybe Albert Pujols, and they're both still currently active. So, um, yeah, it's, nah, it's a lo- phenomenal rundown. He, he's, been, he's been a I lot mean, of fun to watch, and a lot of people thought that Detroit was going to regret giving him a 47-year contract when they did. <laughs> um, but you could argue that that was the most significant free agent signing in the history of that franchise.
1: Nah, it's, it's it really used- could. Yeah, no, it's huge stuff, you know, when you see it like this on paper and you start, uh, you know, seeing all these stats stand out, the, the guys he's in company with, uh, how long baseball's been around uh, as far as where he with the numbers. I feel like a fool now. I mean, I got all excited about Javier Baez, you know, joining the Tigers this year, and I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. And I, I should have been on this bandwagon a long time with Cabrera being on this squad. Um, but this is a, it's a phenomenal feat. And uh, he's just, and like you know, you talk about him, too, not only the numbers, but he's, he's a super dude, too. He's, a, he's just a good guy. And yeah. this is going to happen for him. So, but uh, amazing numbers, man. But it didn't numbers, happen man. on
2: Thursday, Paul. Oh, too bad. I got That's a beef. Too bad. I got Come a Come on, beef. bring it, man. Bring it. I got a beef. You got a brief of my boonie? Come attention, on. bottom of the eighth inning, one nothing. Detroit. Uh, bases were sauced. Uh, Jimer Candelario comes up. Hits into a double play. First base is open. Again, it's a 1-0 game. Miguel Cabrera stepping to the plate. He's 0-3 on the day. Yankees manager Aaron Boone sends his pitching coach out. They have a conversation. Miguel Cabrera approaches the box. Aaron Boone holds up four fingers and gives him a pass. Which was the right well, thing to do. So, Paul, a couple things here. <laughs> One. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Strategically, it made sense. You know, the Yankees are fighting it right now. They've got their issues. Um, specifically Garrett Cole's lack of being able to use sticky stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, go on, come on. Other, stay with whole the whole show <laughs> on that. But the, the the Yankees are this isn't uh the Yankees aren't the Mets, where like if you end up at ten and five it's okay. Like they are in the middle of a thick race with some good teams around them. So every win already matters for that team. And we talked about the amount of pressure that's on Aaron Boone to win. Uh, and Cashman and the guys in that lineup and Aaron Judge turning down a crap load of money. Like there's a lot of pressure on that team to do it this year. Every loss matters. It's a one run game. Miguel Cabrera is coming up and you give him a free pass because first base is open. Shame on Candelario for hitting into the double play and leaving first base vacant so that they had the opportunity to do it. There's your problem right there. Yell at that guy. I'm, I'm with you that from Aaron Boone's perspective and what he needs to accomplish this year was the right thing to do. But damn it, Paul, you can't do it. No, you can. And And it was proved that you can't do it because ball don't lie, and the <laughs> next pitch, Austin Meadows hits a sawed off Phil Mickelson special to center field that finds the Bermuda triangle between the left field and center. have hit it into fielder, a double play, which would have got the out the left, And he ends up with a two run double, and the game's blown open on literally a freaking sand wedge. Not even a pitching wedge, Paul. I mean, that, that might be a recovery. He might have taken the recovery club out of the bag for that one. Ball, don't lie. You get a 140-foot double from Austin Meadows on the next pitch because you put Miguel Cabrera on. I mean, look, th- this, is, this is where the line becomes muddy. Oh, ball.
1: come on. You're, Between... a tradi- you're a traditionalist. Come on.
2: And you know what? Here, here's the thing. I'm a traditionalist, but.
1: There's No butts after I'm a traditionalist. he just can't put a butt after I'm a traditionalist.
2: I mean, you can. The Kardashians do. But I digress. <laughs> the, here, here, but this is, this is the rock and the hard place, Paul. There is the competitive traditionalist. And then there's the acknowledgement that this is entertainment. No, and there, no, And but, no. but this is the thing. Here's my problem, Paul. If the pitching coach went out there and looked that pitcher in the eye, if I'm the pitching coach, if I'm the manager, if I'm the GM – By the way, Miguel Cabrera hadn't been intentionally walked in more than a – since 2020, okay? So he's been intentionally walked plenty in his career, but – and again, strategically, fine. But I want to look my pitcher in the eye with two outs and a 39-year-old coming to the plate. And I want him to look – I want him to – just got a ground ball. He just got a ground ball. I want my pitcher to look me in the eye and say, there's no way in hell I'm giving up 3000 here. I want, I want a competitor to tell me I want it. I want it. And I want a pitcher that's pissed off when my manager holds up the four fingers and says, give it to him. I want, I want the competition first. Secondly, I want the fans (laughs) in Detroit who paid good money to see 3,000. Oh, come on. Let me get a violin over here. Somebody bring me a violin. Look, Miguel, to his credit, said after the game, I had three opportunities before the free pass to get 3,000, and I didn't get it done. I don't care. Don't take it out of his hands, Cause Booney
1: don't care either, and neither are us Yankee fans. You know what his problem this is right now? It's Bud Black's problem this weekend in Colorado. Okay, it's his, it's his problem right now. Booney's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. He made the right decision, baseball. He's got to answer to everybody back here in New York. He doesn't. He was not wearing a T-shirt underneath his Yankees uniform that says, "I'm on the Miguel Cabrera's bandwagon fun ride here," and I'm going to give it up for him. Look, it'll be better for the Detroit Tigers. It's a home uh, series this weekend versus the Rockies. All the kids will be home from school. He's going to get his hit. It just wasn't against the
2: goddamn New York Yankees. We don't give up anything for free. Okay, so let me ask you this. <laughs> uh, Derek Jeter's going for 3000 I would be Der- just the Der- same
1: with it because about, the Yankees about, are traditionalists.
2: Derek Jeter's final at bat.
1: It wasn't. So that's not Miguel's favorite. He, it wasn't wa- his final. It's a totally it different scenario. You can't do that. You can't bring up that final at bat. Then it's a different story. I'll tell my guy to throw on the hand to him.
2: You want to know why this happened, Paul? <laughs> do you want to know why it happened? <laughs> because Aaron Boone batted 143. Oh. He had three hits, oh, in come 21 at-bats in the 2003 World Series, and watched a teenage Miguel Cabrera get a ring.
0: Oh.
2: That's, this deep. This, that's this, deep. This is Aaron Boone being bitter that he didn't oh, get a ring in 03. I don't think it
1: was personal. Come on
2: now. Oh, I, th- I think it is.
1: If that's any other regular season game during the year, that is the right managerial move by the manager of whoever's managing that baseball team at the time
2: it just happens to be Paul I'm I am reaching like the last beer is are. behind 12 you gallons really of milk are. in the fridge right now you really are but You're I'm awesome. I'm saying Aaron Boone is better because he had a bad world series in 03 and Mickey oh, got a ring so he hurts. wasn't going to have it that's that's, that's not right
1: it's not what it happened you know what uh, Cabrera's going to get his hit over the weekend here, and it's going to be in the dust, and you know what? You didn't see Booney
2: and, with the Josh Beckett voodoo doll in the dugout while he was walking him?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't care because, you know what, after this weekend and the celebrations and everything else, uh, you know, Booney's going to be good. He's he done right by his, himself personally, and if that's the case, then good on him if he did. And number two, he did on he did good on the Yankees by doing the right managerial move there. And I got no problem with it. this. Isn't this isn't
2: a like I said? This, I, it, it, was it the this strategically... is a local,
1: I'm sorry, Tab. This isn't your local, uh, you know, ice skating rink uh, where they have you know they they throw giveaways or like uh, Len from Lindenhurst is here today, ladies and gentlemen. And if he skates one more time around the rink, he gets a free teddy bear or something. I'm sorry, and then some kid trips him or some kid doesn't let him lace up his skates. Too bad. Not against the Yankees. That's how it'll go down, Tab. Miguel Cabrera did not get his 3,000th hit against the New York Yankees. And for that, Booney's all right in my book.
2: Well, you know, at the end of the day, they won two out of three in the series. They were down one. It was the right decision for Boone to make. I just don't like it. (laughs) I wanted, to, I, I, I wanted to see you
1: are selfish, a, clutch,
2: Mr. a clutch opportunity. He had the chance to have one of those moments that you want to see in baseball. A, a single with tonight, nobody buddy. on to lead off the second inning means nothing. You got two guys in scoring position in a one-run game with the pressure up against the pinstripes. That's the kind of moment you want to have etched into history. You got to move on. You know what you got to move on Uh, to tonight? 7 10 p.m. uh, uh,
1: America Park in Detroit, United States of America, right here on the MML Network. You can watch it tonight and see if he gets his hit tonight.
2: All I can say is Aaron Boone better not lose (laughs) two out of three in Baltimore the next time they go there. He's got his own problems. Two out of three to the Orioles.
1: Right. Anyway. We don't care about but, April and May like the Metsies. We only care about October. They're struggling a little bit right now, but the Yanks will be alright. They'll be there in the fall.
2: Well, they, they they do need uh they do need Garrett Cole to figure stuff out. But... Yeah,
1: you know what? Maybe he's not maybe he's not the answer. Maybe we're finding out that we're gonna have to do it without him.
2: Back on the Severino bandwagon?
1: Yeah, whatever. Whoever whoever takes that ball wins games for the Yanks, I don't care how much Cole's making. I don't care about his little sign when he's with a kid. That's how it is in Yankee land. What have you done for me lately? You win, or you
2: move on. Or you intentionally walk a guy who still Or you
1: intentionally walk a future Hall of Famer.
2: And still, and then you give up the sawed-off pitching wedge Uh, for uh, two runs. Too bad. It wasn't. Paul, don't lie, Paul. (laughs) Paul, don't lie.
1: All right, that was the good this week, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to head over to great city of Oakland, California, it's beautiful out there, and if you need some space to stretch your legs and your arms, we got a place for you to go, and that's the home ball field for your uh, Oakland Athletics. Woo! Good switch here. Let's go, man. Hey, Booty, you're okay with me? I'm
2: sending over a case of wine, buddy. Well, uh, the Echoes... You heard from Paul were uh, reverberating around the Oakland Coliseum, <laughs> or whatever they're calling it now, Ricky Henderson Field at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum slash of Oakland slash of Los Angeles. Um, we got we got problems here, Paul, and we need to talk. Uh, and it's not to do with Aaron Boone doing the right thing and pissing me off oh, and doing let so. It go,
1: fire up his, uh, Give me that Frozen soundtrack. Let it oh, go. Boy. Let
2: it go. No. Yeah. It's like uh, Maury Ballstein in the, in trying to get a tinkle. Let it go. Um, the Oakland Athletics are 8-6, and six, which would be a half game back of first place in the American League Central. Uh, and it would be a half game back of first place in the American League East. It is a half game back of the Angels for first place in the American League West. The Oakland Athletics are in second place. Let that sink in a little bit. What would you They're say there was second place? It wasn't last? The second. Oakland Athletics are in second place. They are two games over 500. The Oakland Athletics have the second best run differential in the American League. They're the best in their division. They're plus 16. Uh, they have allowed 50 runs in 14 games. They have scored 66 runs in 14 games. Not too shabby. For the sake of comparison, your New York Yankees have scored 39 runs in 13 games. That's early. About they've only allowed 37, but they've scored 39 in the offensive. That, that's a whole other show here. Um, but the Oakland Athletics are getting it done. With, with on the mound, defensively, they're playing well. This is an Oakland Athletics team that is playing well enough. They're 5-5 on the road. They're 3-1 at home. They're playing well enough that for all of the reasons we said that Cleveland fans should be excited, Oakland fans should be excited. Here's the problem, Paul. The front office and ownership of the Oakland Athletics have been out on Tinder swiping right with every city that will build them a ballpark west of the Mississippi. They have been down and done the site surveys in Las Vegas. They've had conversations with Las Vegas about building a new 30,000-seat stadium for their baseball team to come down there and join this increasing professional sports district with the Golden Knights that have been wonderful and the Raiders. They're, they're not happy with their stadium situation. And then you get into the whole Moneyball thing. They don't like to spend money. Ownership doesn't want to spend money. They cry poor every chance they get. I just watched the movie, Moneyball, was on the, the other night. Love that movie. Classic. But that, you know that season in question is almost 20 years ago now. And you haven't had those... Eric Chavez, Miguel Tejadas show up and stay there. Uh, This winter, we watched the Oakland Athletics trade Sean Manaya down the coast to the Padres. Matt Chapman to the first place Toronto Blue Jays. And Matt Olson, who's hitting the crap out of the ball, to Atlanta. Mm Mm-hmm. Three of the faces of that franchise are gone. They sold the team up the river. They're trying to move out of Oakland because they spend more time complaining about the stadium than they and what they don't have than actually spending on a product on the field. And we talk about this. People say it on social media. It never happens. but it looks like it might actually be happening in Oakland. The fans are no longer showing up. The fan, even though the team is in second place, they're over five hundred. They're playing good ball. Mm-hmm. The fans are not showing up.
1: That's a lot of fans not showing up, I and mean, because even yeah. even scantily, you know, like you could you could look at Miami. I mean, it just isn't working down there. But at least I'm just trying to think of all the ballparks right now and other franchises in terms of fannies in the seats here and stuff. But I mean. I'll throw it back to you on this too, as far as the build-up here and, and and to where we are talking about it today. As far as A's fans coming out for this team in the past, let's say the past ten years, you know, try, I'm trying to figure you know, uh, another way to kind of, you know, uh, measure it up against say other some other teams here in terms of where this this storyline's going.
2: I mean, look, Danny Vietti on on the Three O Take podcast went right into it and said that this this is a boycott. The fans aren't showing up. It's a boycott because they've watched them not spend money and decimate the roster for two decades. They've watched them cry poor for two decades, and they're sick of it. And it doesn't feel like like three years ago, ironically, the, hash, the official hashtag for the A's was rooted in Oakland. And it's like the, the roots don't mean a damn thing.
0: They're a great band, by
1: the
2: way. Phenomenal band. It's true. Yes, they are. Um, The combined butts and seats in attendance for Tuesday and Wednesday's A's home games. Under 6,500 total. Less than 6,500 total. Uh, Maury Brown, uh, great follow on, on the Twitter's. If you don't already, make sure you go find him at BizBallMory, B-I-Z-B-A-L-M-A-U-R-Y, BizBallMory. Paid attendance for uh, last night's game, so Thursday night, the 21st, or, I'm sorry, the 20th. Uh, so Wednesday night's game, paid attendance, 2,703. Tuesday, it was 3,748. I mean, this is to the point that on the broadcast, you can literally hear if someone breaks wind in the 200 (laughs) level. You know, 6,450 people in two days. Um, You could have a conversation
1: with somebody from left field to right field.
2: You can. Uh, And the players would hear exactly what you thought of everything that they did. Um, You know, this, this is a rough spot. And... You know, I think as I sat on both sides of the fence with the Aaron Boone conversation, I sit on both sides of the fence here in that Oakland can't charge what L.A. and Chicago and New York can charge for tickets. Can't. The market isn't going to sustain it. You, We have some problems in Major League Baseball, Paul, with some cities that have not supported teams uh, in a number of ways, whether it be butts and seats or with their hope for a new facility. And I don't want to go down the road, the tangent on this specific show about with the two of us having, and we know we will do this though, Paul, we will have a conversation sometime this year. About our thoughts on public financing of stadiums, Um, because I think that that's that's worth digging in on because that's very relevant here and in Tampa, where the Tampa Bay Rays are playing in a recycled urinal cake off of the freeway. Um, They're just above the A's,
1: by the way, as far as home attendances this this year so far.
2: Yeah. Um, And I think my son's 12U team is right in front of both of them. Um, and that's just because we have 12 players on the roster and all the grandparents come. So we've got more people. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll dig in on the, the idea of whether or not there should be public financing involved in this. Um, but if, if the team can, if the team can privately secure the land that they want to build on and they can finance the stadium project, or if there are individuals within local government that support the idea of there being some type of a public subsidy of a stadium project, which at times has been true in both Oakland and Tampa, and you can't get it done and you keep running into roadblocks. You know, I, I look back and the most succinct representation of these issues for me was presented by NHL commissioner Gary Bettman in his state of the league address before the 2010 Stanley Cup final between the Blackhawks and the Philadelphia Flyers because at that time the National Hockey League had a similar problem to this and it was the Atlanta Thrashers and there were lots of rumors as there are with o- with the Oakland A's about relocation with Atlanta And the first question he was asked at that press conference was, what are we doing with Atlanta? And Gary Bettman very concisely said, you need three things to have a professional sports team succeed where it is. Three things. One, you have to have ownership committed to the market. Two, you have to have fans that are committed to supporting The team in that market. Three, you need to have facilities that are up to snuff with the professional sports world that we are part of. And in a roundabout way at that time, Gary Bettman basically, without saying it, because I don't think legally he could say it because of the lease agreement that the Thrashers had in Atlanta at the time, was the Thrashers don't have owners that are committed, their facility sucks and the, their fans don't exist, so they're not going to stay in Atlanta. Here's the thing. Right now in Oakland, and we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk Tampa later because I want to keep this focused on Oakland. There are fans in Oakland. We have seen them. They get in the playoffs, the place fills out. It's a football stadium. I don't think you should expect to have 100,000 people at a baseball game. Furthermore, the sight lines in that ballpark suck from mm-hmm. some of the angles because you're stand, you're sitting in the end zone trying to find a play at third base. You still have infield dirt, which is great. If Tim Brown's running across the middle, <laughs> great. Um, but we're at a place now where the Atlanta Braves have had three stadiums in 20 years. Um Where Wrigley Field is not what it was 110 years ago, it has video boards. Um, You need to have appropriate facilities, and that facility is not up to snuff from a major league perspective. Just not, okay? So the next problem is, is ownership committed? To the market I think they were I don't think that they are anymore and I think that that has become a convenient excuse to chase money and go find it somewhere else I don't think that ownership really cares about Oakland I think they look at how much Vegas is throwing at the Golden Knights franchise. Now the fans are showing out for hockey in Las Vegas, which, by the way, Vegas is not what you would consider to be a traditional Canadian hockey market. It's a desert. Um, they look at how much the red carpet was rolled out for the Raiders, and they're envious. Which, by the way, who did the A's share that stadium with? The Oakland Raiders. Yes, indeed. And the Oakland Raiders said. Screw you, we're out. There's money. And it's real hard if you split in a building. If you're if you're in Chicago and you've got the Bulls and the Blackhawks sharing a facility and the Bulls say, hey, we just got $300 million for a new stadium thrown in our lap. We're moving uh, Waukegan. If you're the Blackhawks, you're like, damn, how do I get a piece of that? Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're co-tenant slash neighbor slash business partner just got a massive amount of money from Las Vegas to go down there. State-of-the-art everything. It's I understand how ownership would be envious and how they'd want a piece of that action too. But it sucks for Oakland. It sucks for the fans out there. Um, But as I said, sitting on both sides of the fence, the flip side of me is rooted in Oakland, really? The Philadelphia athletics that became the Kansas city athletics that became the Oakland athletics. I mean, this, this franchise at large has a couple stickers on the suitcase already. And the reality of the world that we are in right now is that the grass will always be greener, especially if it's fake grass that's been imported because it's in the desert in Las Vegas. Um, or it's a pretty damn good sprinkler they... system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you've got the Golden State Warriors. The San Francisco 49ers are playing in Santa Clara. So it's not even like, you know, they're still in San Francisco. We're claiming whatever the hell we want at this point. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Come on. Yeah. Um, so they're, the loyal fan, it's hard because, like I said about the Miguel Cabrera stuff with Aaron Boone, you want fans loyalty. You want fans to buy into this product. Um, but we've been we've been so conditioned to the idea that it's a business and the mindset that it's a business, and you use it's a business as this coverall for not paying players, for rebuilds, for teardowns, for um, for looking flirting with the idea of moving a franchise. And look, you've got cities that are lining up with Hundreds of millions of dollars right now to bring in a new Major League team. Montreal wants a team. Dave Stewart, former Oakland A-Ace. One of the great stares in, visually, Dave Stewart, if you close your eyes, you think back to the late 80s, early 90s, his eyes staring out over that glove as he was dominating people for the A's. He is at the forefront of a group that is trying to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. Nashville's got a great history in the game. So you've got cities that want baseball. Yeah. And the rock and the hard place here is I understand why Oakland A's fans have had enough. Because you've had an ownership group that's been cheaper than hell, that has refused to invest in the product on the field for two decades, and they keep burning it down in front of you, and now they're flirting with leaving. And as a fan, why the hell would you keep giving money to an ownership group that's never going to spend it on what you're supporting? And then they're gonna tell you that they're gonna go somewhere else. This becomes a I know that the girl that I think I'm dating has a boyfriend and I'm just kind of (laughs) there. At what point do I just own the fact that maybe I'm not as special to her as I as she is to me, and I stop trying. And I think that's kind of where the fans are at with the A's.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's this ownership
2: group is about the bottom line and improving their bottom line and not spending to improve the bottom line and maybe spending it somewhere else and but but it's it's a tough look for major league baseball so my question for you Paul is going back to Gary Bettman's three criteria you got to have fans you got to have facilities you got to have ownership does it ever Phoenix do you, coyotes do you, do you, do you see <coughs> a scenario where the, the A's Stay in Oakland and check all three of those boxes at this point, or even two of those three.
1: No, I no, and I I think I think they should probably go. I mean, I love the you know again we talk traditionalist baseball. I don't want the Ace to move out of Oakland. I love the whole history of the Oakland Athletics here and the and the championships and the phenomenal players and just um, to not see a green and yellow hat, you know, or a green and yellow logo. Uh, in in a major league standings, things for me would break my heart. I I think on the business side of things, I think what's going on here with the fans as far as the boycott is – You know, that's. I think that works uh, closer towards you know the ownership because they. You know, well they'll they'll use it one way or the other. You know, Las Vegas kind of works out because uh, you know the way the reason it's worked out for Vegas and the reason it's working out for the Raiders too is because you know it's a destination city. So if if you have half season subscribers from the local area, that's fine. Uh, I always thought Vegas was going to work for the NHL because, you know, you're going to have all those fan bases that are going to look on the calendar and they're going to plot their trips to, you know, to Vegas and then a lot of those people. And, and, and where it's located, obviously, in the country in terms of close to California, down south, uh, Midwest and everything else, um, as far as, you know, hockey fans and everything else, and same thing with the Raiders here too, um, it, That I think it makes it financially work. I, I would be shocked if the uh, A's ownership doesn't go to Las Vegas uh, sooner than later. Uh, Nashville, that's the first time I'm hearing of that. I think that's very interesting, too. Um, Nashville, as far as, again, it's a destination city. You know, Tennessee, uh, the Titans there have done a well, a well, and, and you can look at the success of, um, you know, the Predators. I mean, Bridgestone is right there in, in Music City, right on the strip there with uh, all the music, uh, uh, the great clubs down there in Nashville. I've been lucky to be down there, and I've seen it all, see how it all operates and stuff here, too. But, um. You know where where it comes to Oakland here. You know Oakland is a city, San Francisco, California proper. I think they're going to be okay. They've got the Giants there. Um, I think the fans, like I said, I think in their hearts they basically let this go. They're showing it, and I don't blame them. I think there's a, a big economic thing and investigation. You could look into this too. From what I've read over the last couple of years, even uh, pre COVID as well too, um, the cost of living just in the San Francisco, um, Oakland, the Bay Area up there is incredibly. Tough, a lot of the major, um, a lot of things, uh, a lot of the residents and stuff have been pushed way outside of the cities. You know, there's a little bit of that happening out here in New York, uh, as far as Manhattan's concerned, and Long Island. You, you can see that the cost of living to live around um, the big city here in Manhattan, where you have a, a city like Oakland and, and uh, you know San Francisco and stuff like that, it's a little tough. So that's all that stuff. But
2: I think. Well, that, I mean, that, that's why the Niners moved to Santa Clara. That's why the Warriors built their ridiculous new chase. Uh, center, whatever it's called, N- not in San Francisco, like you're right. Like the cost of the real estate, what they're looking to do is astronomical in those markets right now. Um,
1: and if it's not completely paid for by the ownership there, I mean, you know, it's it's, a, it's an incredible, it's a fantastic, I love the business side of sports. You can look at what they're trying to do up here in, in New York and Western New York with Buffalo I mean, you know, Pagula is a goddamn billionaire up here, and I think they're going to make. I mean, Buffalo's a that's a that's a that's a blue collar, hardworking city, and they're trying to get the residents to pay for that here. You know, the only reason look look what's happened down here in, in New York uh, with uh, I mean, our football teams don't even play in the state, but I mean, it took forever for the islands to get you know where they are, and the ownership had to basically take care of that. Same thing with uh, City Field and and the New Yankee Stadium. I mean. And that, and that turns around to Bettman's argument with the, uh, the owners in terms of, uh, you know, uh, wanting to put the money into it themselves. That's how it works. But, you know, I, I sit here, and we're big hockey guys, too, and you, you look at the laughable hypocrisy of what the Phoenix Coyotes are. I mean, why in the hell are they hanging on? I mean, they're moving them into a college rink next year. I mean, that's, right. a, that's an effing joke. So. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think this is – I ultimately think – I mean, we talked about it here last year a little bit on the show. Um, but I think me and you are also realists as much as we are traditionalists here. I think right now I think, you know, I would look at the ownership and say, yeah, get the hell out of there. Get a new state-of-the-art building. Major League Baseball is going to get behind it. Whether you go to Nashville, whether you go to uh, Vegas, it's going to work one way or the other. You only need to get half of your season subscribers as far as I'm concerned in those two cities. And, and put a halfway decent product. Now, they've got a good team on the field, and uh, maybe they can build on that. And I don't think – I'd say Tab more than anything. That's, I'll throw this back to you and, and, and you know, the guy that uh, you, you put here in the, in the notes as far as uh, uh, bringing this out and posting that uh, uh, tweet there yesterday. This, this isn't going to happen Next year, two seasons, right? I mean, what's what's the time frame here? I mean, is are the A's basically going to rot in that stadium here for the next five years? Or is this something that's going to have to – will it – is there any pressure for this really to turn around? Because ultimately as an owner, I mean, it becomes a write-off, right? Whether there's 20 people in the stands or 60,000, obviously I think it affects the economic value of everybody that's involved. But if there's nobody in the ballpark right now – I mean, shit – Excuse me, I said the s word. How is um? You know, Tampa's had a phenomenal competitive team here. They're they're just above the A's in far as t- attendance. I mean, Miami Marlins there. I mean, that's that's a joke. What's going on there down in Miami? And then you go kind of go up. The other teams above that, as far as that, you look at the mediocrity and the history of uh, competitive where they played here. But I guess I'll throw that back to you. I mean, is this going to really be anything that's going to be turned around soon? You look at the NHL thing too. Phoenix, they they really don't seem to care about. They made a, such a big hoo-ha about the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Islanders here who, who got, you know, strap-handled here going back and forth between Barclays Arena and the Coliseum, and now they're moving Phoenix into a, a college D1 arena that and holds a Oh, by the, the way, people? they're going
2: to charge – did you see the tweet about they're going to charge fourteen grand per seat That's what for on the glass I mean, season of, tickets? Of course.
1: But of course they would do that, right?
2: Right. So here's <laughs> the, So here's the thing. It comes down to commitment and care, okay? The NHL has overly committed to building hockey as a product in the state of Arizona. To their credit, you're seeing more and more young players matriculating up to college programs, the NHL ranks, who were born and raised in the state of Arizona, there's a good chance the most valuable player in the National Hockey League this year is the leading scorer, Austin Matthews, who's going to crack 60 probably. And he's from Arizona. Okay. So the NHL is taking a pretty hard stance with the Coyotes that they view that market as important enough that they're going to allow ownership groups to lose money. They were, they took control of that franchise for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to pull out. Okay?
1: Because they might be hiding stuff, or they might be using that as a as a way. Everybody's right hiding
2: are. their their dead cap space down there. Absolutely, uh, like it was a running joke. You you're you're throwing, and we're not going to go hockey on this, but like.
1: But it's but, yeah, but real quick. It's but, the but other reason but why landowners. For guys that, yeah, but landlords too, right? They might have like six or seven storefronts that have been vacant. For like mm-hmm. 15 years, you know, and they own one or two big things. I mean, it's, it's all the same stuff when it comes down to ownership of either property or businesses, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there's a commitment to that marketplace. The difference between the NHL committing to the market in Oakland or, or in Arizona and Major League Baseball is that Rob Manfred has not really committed to anything as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Um other than changing crap for the sake of changing it because he wants to make the game faster or whatever BS he's selling this week. Um, The the rock and the hard place for me with this is, again, you're, you're talking about a fan base that watched the Raiders leave and go to L.A. and then come back. And you thought that it was for real this time. And then Oakland showed up with a bunch of money and they're gone. Mm -hmm. Where was the public service for John Madden when he passed? (sighs) Oakland, not Vegas, Oakland. Because as his widow said, John was an Oakland Raider. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the Raiders got up and left and went to Vegas. Now the same fan base in the same building is hearing about the other team. The only thing they got left maybe doing the same thing. So it goes back to the whole fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me thing, right? Yeah, what you said. Oakland fans are saying, screw everything. Vegas stole our Raiders. Now they're going to steal our A's. We're not going to keep giving you money.
1: And this is a hard time for anybody to give up
2: any of their money right now, right? And, and but here's here's the bigger problem that I have, Paul. And again, whole other show. What, we will have shows where we dig in on economic issues at large because we're going to need three shows a week to cover everything. The, we want this, this would turn into a twelve hour dance <laughs> fest here. But with the increase in revenue sharing and what's going on with this collective bargaining agreement. The idea that a team can't spend $50 million is BS. I'm not saying every team needs to spend $200 million, but the idea that you can't afford to keep your best players is ludicrous. And neither one of those guys was making enough money this year that they had to be traded. Minaya, Olson, and Chapman could have still been in Oakland. So you've got problems there. I think that... The other reality here is that there's just there's a feeling of dishonesty when the president of the Oakland A's is seen in a suite at a Golden Knights game in Vegas and he's openly flirting with the idea of taking the team to Vegas and not even trying to hide it. It just it feels dishonest. It feels like they're dancing with the wrong dance partner right in front of the person who brought them and the whole thing just smells dirty. But Major League Baseball is not in a position like the NHL was, to step in and say, figure it out, boys. They've kind of sort of been like, you know, it would be really nice if you guys could get a stadium together. But to, to go all the way back to answering your question, when is this going to be resolved? When someone has the financial wherewithal to put a, a an end date on it. Mm-hmm. If someone steps up and says, fine, screw it, I'll pay for the stadium, and the city says, okay, you're paying for it, you've got the land, okay, go for it. But you need the, the you need the municipal government to give them the green light to do that. You need the money to do that, or you need to finally say we're moving to Vegas. What's the cost to get out of our lease? Okay, and then it might be a year or two for you to buy the lease out. But it's going to come down to money has to talk, and Oakland's ownership clearly is more motivated to find an end game here than Tampa Bay is because Tampa Bay has had seven different plans and the city has vetoed all of them. And they keep being like, oh, guys, okay, we'll try again in two years. Um, But I think once Oakland goes, Tampa's going to have a much harder conversation on their hands. And if you've got Vegas in the West, geographically it makes sense to try and recruit them to leave. Then if you're looking for a move for Tampa in the East, moving them north to Nashville would – geographically kind of sort of makes sense if you don't want to expand there's been talk that major league baseball is going to expand and add two more teams that's fine maybe montreal gets back in the game maybe nashville gets one from scratch um you know we've we've heard whispers that mexico city could be in play portland has been in play um but i, I think at this point it really comes down to money talks and at some point someone's going to have to foot a bill. And a a local government is going to have to say, "Okay, we're we're buying what you're selling." Um, And again, we will have a show down the road where we talk, where Paul and I weigh in on publicly financing stadiums and how we feel about it, um, and the way that stadium projects are evolving today. Um, But I think we've reached a, a place where. The Oakland Athletics franchise and the city of Oakland and the fan base in Oakland, uh, I feel like we need a divorce. All right, I just, That's I think it, I, 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 there, there will be lawyers. Oh so yes, <laughs> there will be lawyers. Um, but yeah, I, I think we need a divorce, and I, I think the A's need to go. And you know what? Going back to hockey. The Minnesota North stars didn't have a facility. The owner saw the green money on the other side of the fence and wanted to jump. And the Minnesota North stars moved to Dallas and became the Dallas stars in a non-traditional hockey market. And they've done pretty well for themselves from a business perspective. And what did the NHL do? They said, you know what? Minnesota is a damn good city. So we're going to go find some owners And we're going to find somebody to build a barn, and we're going to put a good team up there. And the Minnesota Wild are a really good team with an exceptionally passionate fan base in a really good barn today. The Baltimore area did not have an NFL team. Art Modell, name that Guardians Guardians (laughs) fans are going to curse. Moved the Cleveland frickin' Browns, one of the charter organizations, moved them out of Cleveland to Baltimore. What did the NFL do? They said, you know what? Screw it. Cleveland is a football market. We're going to get a team back in Cleveland. And the Browns came back. My hope is that the ownership group that doesn't want to be in Oakland, that doesn't want to fight the politics anymore, moves the A's to Vegas. And Major League Baseball finds an owner that's going to foot the bill for a stadium that's going to commit to the spending the money that needs to be spent to put a championship product on the field that brings the fans back and Oakland gets a baseball team back in a few years. Cause that's yeah, a good I'm market. Those are good fans. Mm-hmm. They Love the game. They've been passionate in the past. So my hope is that we get a divorce here and both sides can move on to being happily married to somebody else.
0: We'll let it play
1: out, but in the meantime, you guys want to stock up on buying some athletic uh, apparel because who knows? It may not be available here in a couple of years or a couple seasons. We'll see what
2: happens. And if you're a, if the infield's bumpy, you should you should have an athletic supporter. <laughs> Big words there, by Mister. That's Baffin. a that's a terrible joke. I'm that's sorry for that, but don't cut it out because I deserve to wear that. <laughs> I All right, Tab. An athletic supporter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's great convo. We'll continue it here. It is, and we'll just hope for the best for the uh, ultimately the Ace fans uh, down the road. They have a team one way or the other that's uh,
2: supported. Lots of hockey talking, than then a bad cup joke. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. All right.
1: Before we wrap things up here, uh, get your pens out, and paper, and everything else. It's time for Tab's fantasy ad of the week. So here we go, Tab. What do you got?
2: All right, we're going to we're going uh, to Texas. Uh, deep in the heart of Texas, whatever you want to go with, whichever university's fine song you want to play. Um, art, an artist formerly known as a Tampa Bay Ray, one of the Low Lau clan. Uh, we've got a Brandon Lowe. We've got a Josh Lau in Tampa. And we had Nathaniel Lau, spelled low but pronounced Lau, was in Tampa, got traded to Texas, Nathaniel Lau, your first baseman for the Texas Rangers, is this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. Nice. Uh, he has hit safely in all but one game. He's appeared in this season. He comes into Friday with a 372 batting average. He's already got six multi-hit games this year. He's owned in 44% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. Uh, there's lots of issues at first base right now with guys massively underperforming. Rizzo's had his moments, but leaves a little bit to be desired. Goldschmidt in... St. Louis, not doing that hot. The fighting Frank Schwindels, not really yeah. smoking the ball. If you need help at first base, uh, Nathaniel Lau, sp- spell low, double L-O-W-E. Nathaniel, maybe you want to call him Nate. Uh, Nathaniel Lau is our fantasy ad of the week, uh, 56% of Yahoo League, still eligible. Uh, he is off to a smoking hot start, so go get you some Texas Rangers. They're not winning games, but Nathaniel Lau is producing. So go get you some Nathaniel Lau, uh, your fantasy ad of the week this week on like Line it. Drive Radio.
1: I like it. Write it down. Win some money, folks. Win some money. And hopefully he doesn't come up uh, against the Yankees with runners on second and third. Because he will be walked. Because that's the right thing to do.
2: <laughs> Unlike tickets in Oakland, Aaron Boone handing out free passes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, folks. Another LDR in the books. But before we close the concession stands, turn on the sprinklers, and lock the entrance gates, it's time to bid everybody adieu. So I will say thank you all for listening, tuning in. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. And Tab, as always,
2: please say goodbye to the good folks. If you're like Paul and me and your kids getting out of the field this weekend, enjoy the game, let the umpires do their jobs. Let the kids play the game. Chew on some seeds, clap your hands, and enjoy the game.
1: Enjoy it. That's what it's all about, folks. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Be back here next week. Throw some feedback at Line Drive Radio everywhere. Until then, stay safe, have a great weekend, and play ball!